0: Well, we have come right up to the edge of Genesis chapter 15 in our evening expositions of Genesis. We finished the end of chapter 14 last week, and Genesis 15 is the second text in Genesis that is a key text to understanding God's covenantal dealings. With Abraham. Genesis 12 was the first one, but when we were in Genesis 12, we didn't spend much time considering God's dealings with Abram as covenantal dealings with Abram. We simply studied Genesis 12 as God's calling of Abram and considered the relevance of Abram's response to God's call as we considered our response to God's calling of us. However, Genesis 12 is a key chapter in understanding God's covenantal dealings with Abram, as are chapters 15, 17, 18, and 22 especially. And God's covenantal dealings with Abram are a major part of the storyline of Scripture. So having largely deferred this subject until now, having reached Chapter 15 in our series in Genesis, which is the second key text pertaining to God's covenantal dealings with Abram, we're going to take an excursus from our exposition of Genesis tonight to examine the theme of God's covenant from the perspective that Galatians 4:22 to 28 gives us. And this excursus will benefit us tremendously over the next several weeks. As we resume our exposition of Genesis and move through the rest of the Abrahamic narrative in the weeks ahead. So let's have a look tonight at Galatians chapter 4 verses 22 to 28. Which is a Holy Spirit inspired lens through which we ought to look at God's covenantal dealings with Abram or Abraham. This will give us a framework for understanding what's going on in the rest of the Abrahamic narrative as we resume our exposition of Genesis from next week. The first thing that we need to understand about Galatians chapter 4 verses 22 to 28 is that in this passage, Paul is providing the correct interpretation of God's covenantal dealings with Abram. John Calvin would quarrel with me here arguing that Paul is not exegeting the Abrahamic narrative in Genesis but rather that he is merely using the Abrahamic narrative as a convenient almost coincidental illustration of a theological truth derived from other passages John Calvin's view is that Paul is not in Galatians 4 saying this is what Genesis says and means rather he's just using it to illustrate something the way that we might talk about a great victory and we might reference an Old Testament story of the Israelites defeating one of their enemies we're not saying that that's what that passage refers to we're simply using a great victory that we find in the Old Testament to illustrate a point that comes from somewhere else that's what that's Calvin's view but the problem with this view is that Paul explicitly states that he is interpreting the Abrahamic narrative contained in Genesis. He's making an argument to the Galatians. And in verse 21, he says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So he's telling us that he's going to quote from the Old Testament. And then he says, For it is written. So in other words, he's saying, You should know that what I'm telling you is true, for it is written. So in other words, what he, what he begins by doing is saying, He's implying, you should know that what I'm telling you is true because you could have learned it from this passage. So, he says, it is written. And then, lest we have any further doubt, in verse 24, he says, now this may be interpreted. And then goes on to give an interpretation. So, so what Paul is doing in this section is he's making an argument to the Galatians, which we're not going to follow his broader argument tonight for our purposes. but he's developing an argument to the Galatians, and he says, he says, "You should know that what I'm saying to you is true. Don't you even listen to the law? Because the law says this, and this may be interpreted this way. And you so you should have seen that. You should have known that. That's what Paul's doing in this section of Galatians chapter four. So Paul actually is, interpreting God's covenantal dealings with Abram in this section and because Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit Paul is providing the correct interpretation then of God's covenantal dealings with Abraham we're not at liberty to disagree with Paul and say well I don't think that that's what's really going on in the Genesis narrative this is the God's God's own self-interpretation of the text that He has inspired, way back in Genesis. So, while it is entirely possible, obviously, to interpret Galatians four twenty-two to twenty-eight wrong, and thereby to get Genesis wrong, if we get Galatians four twenty-two to twenty-eight right, then we automatically get Genesis right too. Since Galatians provides through Paul God's very own interpretation of the Abrahamic narrative in Genesis. With this in mind, let's continue. Paul's interpretation is that Abram's, or Abraham's first two children, Ishmael and Isaac, are representative of two types of children. Abraham's first two children, Ishmael and Isaac, are representative of two types of children. The merely natural and those counted as Abraham's descendants in fulfillment of God's promises to him. He talks about how one son represents a particular group of people, And another son represents another group of people. And so Paul is showing us that these two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, are representative of two types of Abraham's children. He teaches us that there are those who are merely natural descendants of Abram, like Ishmael. Who are not intended by God to be the fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abram. We haven't actually got here in Genesis. So just let me tell that story quickly for the sake of those who might not be familiar. Basically, God promises Abraham offspring. And then several years go by and he hasn't had any offspring yet. And his wife, Sarah, is too old to have kids. And Romans tells us that Abraham's body was as good as dead. And so he wasn't able to make kids either. So I don't know how old he was. Well, I do actually, but it's surprising that we read that his body was as good as dead, given what we know about genetics, but I digress. Basically, time went by and he hadn't had any kids. And so what happens is he goes in uh, to, as this passage calls her, the slave woman, Hagar, and a child is born out of that union, and the child is Ishmael. But God says that Ishmael isn't going to be the fulfillment of his promise to Abram, but rather another son, Isaac, will be. So that's what happens in the Genesis narrative. And we'll get there in Genesis eventually and look at it in greater detail. But Paul is teaching us that there are those who are merely natural descendants of Abram, like Ishmael, who are not intended by God to be the fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abram. We see this in verse 23. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through promise or in virtue of the promise or in fulfillment of the promise. Abram took matters into his own hands and there was a child who was born who was merely a natural child and was never intended by God to be the fulfillment of God's promise to Abram. His name was Ishmael. And he is representative of some of Abraham's descendants who are like Ishmael, merely natural descendants of Abram, not intended by God to be the fulfillment of the promises that God made to Abram. Then Paul teaches us in this section that there are others who are counted as children of Abraham, who are intended by God to be and considered by God to be The ultimate fulfillment of his promises to Abraham. And Isaac represents these ones. Isaac comes in fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. And he represents a group of people who come to be counted as Abraham's descendants. Who are intended by God and considered by God to be the fulfillment of his promises to Abraham. This is what Paul is teaching us here in this section. There's two children, Ishmael and Isaac, the son of the slave woman, the son of the free woman. And each of these represents a group of people that are like them. There's a group of people who are merely natural children who are not intended to be the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. And then there are those who will come to be counted as Abraham's children who are intended to be the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham, This is what Paul is saying in verse 23 and 24 and 25 and 26. These two types of Abraham's offspring become in due time heirs to two different covenants. That's what Paul says in verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So there are two distinct types of Abraham's offspring. And they become in due time heirs to two different covenants. Some Baptists argue that this means that two covenants were established with Abraham. They would argue that we shouldn't really talk about the Abrahamic covenant, but we should rather talk about the Abrahamic covenants. That there are two covenants made with Abraham. One covenant made with Abraham concerning this one type of offspring and the covenant that those type of his offspring are under. And then another covenant made with Abraham concerning his other type of offspring. Others argue that only one covenant was established with Abraham. But it had two aspects which were distinguished and demarcated from one another. In the subsequent unfolding of redemptive history. I'll leave you to look at the scriptures and decide for yourselves which is the case. But it is indisputable. As Paul argues here, that the two distinct types of Abraham's offspring become in due time heirs to two different covenants. That's very clear here from Galatians. It can't be argued otherwise. Abraham has two types of children who eventually in due time become heirs to two different covenants. One covenant for the one type of children... One covenant for the other type of children. That's Paul's argumentation here in Galatians 4. Two sons, two covenants. Two women, two covenants. Perhaps surprisingly to some of you, depending on your theological background, Paul says in Galatians 4, verses 24 and 25, that it is the descendants of Abraham... Who were brought into covenant with God at Sinai. Who are like Ishmael. In other words. Those who are merely partakers of the old covenant. The Mosaic covenant that was established at Sinai. Those who are merely children of Abraham according to the flesh. Are therefore then not like Isaac but are like Ishmael, not intended to be the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. God's ultimate plan is not a plan then revolving around the nation of Israel. God is not dealing primarily in history with the natural offspring of Abraham. God has a bigger plan and a bigger purpose in history than to make Abraham's merely physical offspring into a great nation with land and a king of their own. That is not the meta narrative of Scripture. Look at the text. Paul says that Mount Sinai bears children for slavery. As Hagar did. Which means those who are, who are in the covenant that was established at Mount Sinai are not, the comparison is not between them and Isaac, but the comparison is between them and Ishmael. Paul is arguing that just as Ishmael was a merely natural descendant of Abraham. And not intended to be the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. So these offsprings of Abraham who were brought into covenant with God at Sinai. Are merely natural offsprings who are not intended by God to be the ultimate fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham. According to Galatians 4, it is not those who are brought into covenant with God at Sinai who are the children of promise. Rather, it is God's new covenant people who are intended by God and considered by God to be the ultimate fulfillment of His promises to Abraham. We don't see this explicitly in Galatians 4. There is no mention of the new covenant by name. There is no terminology like the covenant of grace, the new covenant, the covenant of which Christ is the mediator, that covenant made by Christ's blood. There's no explicit statement like that in Galatians chapter 4. But there is a contrast between two covenants. One made at Sinai which we obviously know which one that is, and the other pertaining to the Jerusalem above, verse 26, which includes the uncircumcised Galatians, both Jews and Gentiles then. Verse 28, he says, You, brothers, you Galatians, like Isaac, are children of promise. The covenant that pertains to the Jerusalem above, which includes the uncircumcised Galatians, is a covenant that brings persons uncircumcised, in other words, not as Jews, into relationship with Christ through faith. This is what Galatians chapter 2 and chapter 3 are unfolding, and I'll leave you to dig into those chapters on your own time. Contextually, the way that Paul's argumentation in the book of Galatians unfolds, the contrast that he draws out here in verse, er, in chapter 4, the covenant, the covenant that is contrasted with the covenant at Sinai can be none other than the new covenant. It is a covenant that includes uncircumcised persons, that pertains to the Jerusalem above, and a covenant which is defined by being in relationship with Christ, and therefore with Abraham, through faith. That is the New Covenant, brothers and sisters. So this passage then, in Galatians chapter 4, is telling us that those in the New Covenant, who are counted as Abraham's children, By virtue of their faith in Christ, as Galatians chapters 2 and 3 have taught us, God's new covenant people are the children of promise. He says as much in verse 28 of chapter 4. You brothers in the new covenant, implicitly, like Isaac, are children of promise. God's new covenant people are the children of promise. It is they, it is we, who are intended by God and considered by God to be the ultimate fulfillment of his promises to Abraham. So, what is the point of all this? Paul's making the point to the Galatians. And I'm making you the point to you tonight that the new covenant is God's ultimate plan. The meta narrative of Scripture does not revolve around national Israel, but around God's new covenant people. The meta narrative of Scripture is not about establishing a people and a land and a kingship through the Sinai Covenant. But through the new covenant. This is the meta narrative of Scripture. Jeffrey Johnson notes that the Abrahamic covenant promised three basic things a land, a kingship, and a people. Interestingly, a region of dominion, a king, and a people are the three major elements that constitute a kingdom. Thus, in essence, in the Abrahamic covenant, God vowed to establish a kingdom through the seed of Abraham. We should not fail to note the obvious. God did make a kingdom of, God's, of Abraham's merely natural physical seed. God did make a kingdom of Abraham's merely physical seed through the covenant established at Sinai. That's an obvious point. There is a kingdom established through The Sinai Covenant. God constituted them a nation. Gave them a land. And eventually gave them a king. God did establish a kingdom. Comprised of Abraham's merely physical seed. But what Paul is telling us in Galatians 4 here. Is that the the nation of Israel. The kingdom that was established through the Sinai Covenant was never intended by God to be the ultimate fulfillment of his promises to Abraham. Those are the natural offspring of Abraham, which are like Ishmael, not the children of promise. God had in mind a superior kingdom of which Israel was just an object lesson or a shadow in the unfolding Meta-narrative of Scripture. God would eventually establish a kingdom over which His Son rules and reigns, comprised of people from all over the world. Each one counted as Abraham's child by virtue of his or her relationship to Abraham's greater son, Jesus. We see this twice in Galatians two and three. Just to just again, I'm not going to ex, exegete the whole chapters here. But Galatians three and verse nine. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. In Galatians three twenty nine. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. God's ultimate plan and ultimate purpose was to bring about a kingdom through the new covenant. It is God's new covenant people who Paul tells us here in Galatians 4 are the children of promise like Isaac. It is not the nation of Israel who are the children of promise. They are like Ishmael merely natural children who are blessed to some degree, like even Ishmael was. When we come to that section of the narrative, we see that God blesses Ishmael to a degree. There is something of a blessing in the unfolding meta narrative of Scripture for the nation of Israel, for the kingdom of Israel. They do become a kingdom, they are blessed. But ultimately, it is the people that God establishes, the kingdom that God establishes through the new covenant which is his ultimate plan. In view of this, it was ridiculous for the Galatians to want to go back under the Old Covenant. One of the things they were dealing with was the temptation to trust in Christ and try to do some works of the law To combine these things, each as a component of their standing before God. And so they wanted to trust in Christ, but also obey the law as a means of currying God's favor, God's acceptance. They wanted to be under the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But in view of what I've just explained from Paul's argumentation, it was ridiculous for the Galatians to want to go back under the Old Covenant. God's plan has always been for something better than the Old Covenant. And Old Covenant Israel was just an object lesson. In the unfolding revelation of Christ. A Christ's multinational kingdom. Paul wanted the Galatians to think rightly. About the two covenants he mentions. And the two covenant peoples. That he mentions. And he wants them to. Not try to be under both covenants. Nor to go back to being exclusively under the old covenant. But he wants them to stay firmly fixated on and, and operating under the terms of the new covenant. Paul wants the Galatians to think rightly about the two covenants he mentions and the two covenant peoples that he mentions. We likewise need to think rightly about the two covenants that Paul mentions here in Galatians four, twenty-two to 28 Among other things, we need to see that one entered the old covenant merely by natural birth. One enters the New Covenant by spiritual birth. Therefore, the Old Covenant is limited in scope to the physical circumcised offspring of Abraham, while the membership of the New Covenant is comprised of people from every nation under heaven. The Old Covenant blessings are inferior to the blessings of the New Covenant. Although, as I said, Ishmael was blessed to a degree... Isaac's blessings were greater. As a comparison runs, those who are in the Old Covenant are like Ishmael with the inheritance of a slave, and those who are in the New Covenant are like Isaac with the inheritance of a son. The Old Covenant was conditioned upon personal law-keeping, while the New Covenant is conditioned upon the law-keeping of Christ, its mediator. The Old Covenant has become obsolete You can reference Hebrews chapter 8 for that. Along with its kingdom. While Christ's kingdom is an everlasting dominion, which shall never pass away. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 14. Christ is not returning to renew and to restore the kingdom of Abraham's physical old covenant offspring. Christ is returning to consummate His kingdom comprised of both Jews and Gentiles alike. All of God's new covenant people who have entered the covenant by faith in Him. As we read in various places throughout the New Testament, it is God's new covenant people, Jews and Gentiles alike, who in the truest sense are Israel, who are circumcised in heart, who are joined to Christ by faith and counted as Abraham's children, who are most ultimately the heirs of the promises that God makes to Abraham. God is building us, brothers and sisters, into a kingdom in ultimate fulfillment of His promises to Abraham. So brothers and sisters, press on in faith in Christ Jesus God's ultimate plan for humanity is to form a redeemed people into a kingdom over which his son shall reign forever Amen. the church is not an afterthought nor a parenthesis in God's plan the church is God's plan and has always been God's plan we are the ultimate heirs of the promises both Old Testament and New Testament they come to ultimate fulfillment for us in and through Christ Jesus in the New Covenant be encouraged by that to persevere in faithfulness to Christ in the New Covenant and to enjoy life in His Kingdom